I don't want too abrupt a change, but we're going to take a look at the Word this morning. How many of you watched the Super Bowl this year? Some of you are going, I can't remember back that far. That was for <laughs> the Super Bowl. I know neither the Packers nor the Seahawks were in the Super Bowl, so it was kind of a downer, but that's okay. In the days leading up to the Super Bowl, we were subjected to a lot of hype, excitement, speculation, and mostly useless information. The purpose of all this was to get as many people as possible to watch 22 grown men chase an air-filled pigskin around a field. But if one talked to individual teams, the coaches and players, one would receive a different perspective. Each team had a defined mission. That mission, to win, to win. Each team's strategy was different. This year's game pitted the number one offense, the San Francisco 49ers, against the number one defense, the Kansas City Chiefs. The team's strategies differed, but the mission was the same, to win, to win, to win the Super Bowl. The planning, the money, the hard work, all had the same mission. They were there to win, to win. Well, as followers of Jesus Christ, we also have a mission. We don't get paid as much, but that's okay. We also have a mission. And it's critical that we understand our mission, the reason we exist as a church universal, and as our church local, Eau Claire Wesleyan Church. Our strategies may differ from church to church, but our mission remains the same. That mission, to win, to win. Now, this is not winning like in a sports contest, a video game, or a television game show. In those contests, there's a winner, and there has to be also a loser. Win here is to win the hearts and minds of people, to help them understand who God is, who Jesus is, and what Jesus came to do, simply to win them to Jesus Christ, to win them over so they too can become followers of Jesus Christ. This is not about win-lose. This is about win-win. And I'd like you to turn with me today as we look at Luke, the ninth chapter. We're in this series on the life of Jesus. And we're going to look today at the first mission that Jesus gave his disciples as we look at Luke 9. Luke 9, the first six verses also will be on the projection in front of you. Verse 1 of Luke 9. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. These six verses describe the very first mission Jesus had for his followers. It was the 12, said it was the 12. This was to set the course 
for their future lives. They were sent on a mission to make a difference. They were to become an agent for positive change. They were sent out as agents of Jesus, the King of all kings, Lord of all lords, to make a difference, to have a positive impact. The responses were going to vary, but the mission remained the same. We begin with probably the most important concept, the first part of the mission. This is the most difficult and definitely the most crucial. Without this, their mission or our mission will never even get off the ground. It says that Jesus called the 12 together, together. The first mission is called to unity, called to unity. When preparing for a specific mission, it, was, it is critical for there to be unity. Football is a great illustration of unity. One person calls a play. Every person has a specific assignment during that play. The center snaps the ball and blocks. The line blocks the pass rush or pulls to one side to block for the run, opens holes that may even block downfield. Wide receivers run a route and the ball is usually thrown before they cut and turn. And if done right, they're able to get where the ball is in time to catch it. The quarterback hands off pitches or passes to an assigned person. The running back blocks, runs, receives, whatever they're called for. Special teams all have specific assignments. The defense defends specific zones or lanes or persons. And in all the chaos of one play, and you look at what happens on these plays, in all the chaos of one play, if one person, just one, is out of sync or misses his assignment, the whole effort is for naught. Just one person. All it takes. Everybody else's effort, work, and contribution is wasted because one person blew it. It all falls apart, which tells you something. means every person is important. Remember that. Every person is important. One missed block, one snapping mistake, a wrong passing route, bad timing, it goes nowhere. There has to be unity. Unity. And you know what? All 11 guys had their own opinion about what play they should run. But they can only run one play at a time. One play at a time. The coach or the quarterback calls the play, and for the sake of unity, they all go along. In unity for the good of the whole, with the ultimate mission to win, they all run the same play, and they do that over and over and over again. One of the most valuable lessons of team sports is learning how to cooperate, work together in unity to achieve a goal. And to sacrifice our personal opinions and ideas for the good of the whole. So what about us? What does football have to do with the church? Nothing, really. But unity does. Unity has something to go. The reason many churches never get off the ground or get stuck or never move forward in mission and they never win is because there's no unity. Everybody's doing their own thing, running their own place, having their own opinions, pushing their own agenda. Now, disagreements do not equate to disunity. Okay? Team members on a football team can disagree as long as they run the same play. 
Okay? They may say, I don't think that's a good play, but I'll go along with it. Disagreement does not mean disunity. It's how we handle disagreements. We have an opponent, and if we want to win, we must begin with unity. Now, what kinds of unity are there? What kinds of unity? First one is spiritual unity. Spiritual unity. Unity in spirit, unity in our spiritual relationship. Our relationship with God, each one of us, must be right. It must be in order. And the question is, just ask yourself this morning, how is my walk with God? Because your walk with God will affect everyone else's walk with God. Like it or not, we're all connected. And we're all only as strong as our weakest player, player, person in the body. When we all answer to the same God, we follow his principles in his word, then we can have unity. That's responsibility. Everybody carries. Everybody carries. Philippians 2, 2 through 4 says this. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should also look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Some phrases, like-minded, same love, one in spirit, one in purpose, no selfish ambition, no vain conceit. Consider others better than yourselves. In other words, look to others' interests. Critical when it comes to unity and working together. Who, who gets most of the glory on a football team? Who gets most of the glory on a football team? Na just na see if you can remember this. Name the starting left guard on the San Francisco 49ers. Anybody? Who is a starting left guard? Who is a starting right tackle on the Kansas City Chiefs? I don't know. I don't know who that was. Who gets the most attention? The quarterback, the running backs, and the wide receivers. Their accomplishments, however, require a lot of like-mindedness, oneness in spirit, purpose, and unselfishness by the other team members. Serving one another, like-minded, unselfish. The church needs spiritual unity, united in spirit, connected to the same leader, Jesus Christ, who calls the place. He's the one that calls the place. Unity in spirit, all going the same direction. How do we know what plays Jesus is calling? Okay, say, what, what play is Jesus calling? What's our playbook? Ah, thought you'd ask. The Bible. Okay. This is our playbook. So the second area of unity is doctrinal unity. Doctrinal unity. Spiritual unity has to do with spirit. Doctrinal unity has to do with beliefs. How important are our beliefs? Our beliefs. Beliefs make a difference. A major challenge to us as Christians today is the infiltration of other or contrary beliefs to our doctrine or our faith comes in many many different forms contradictions I don't have time to go into all of them but I want to talk about one of them one is called syncretism 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 is taking a little of this belief system a little of that belief system and making up your own religion okay 
It's, it's a grab bag approach, okay? I, I create my own personal brand of Christianity this way. I like unconditional love, so I have love as the foundation, unconditional love. That's the foundation. I don't like the concept of an angry God or judgment, so let's just let's get rid of hell and eternal punishment, okay? It seems that we should all have more than one chance to get it right going through life, so I believe in reincarnation so I can have unlimited chances to reach nirvana or perfection. Then I, then I think I'm going to incorporate political correctness and validate all beliefs as equal and true, my truth and your truth. That way, I won't offend anybody. We'll have this great inoffensive faith that we can get along with everybody. See, see any problems with that? There's an organization headquartered in Seattle. It's called Women of Wisdom. And Women of Wisdom embraces all kinds of spiritual paths. Earth-centered and goddess spirituality to Incan shamanic practices. They have what they call cultural creatives that grew out of um, social movements. Feminism, environmentalism, consciousness movements, spirituality, psychology, and alternative health. Cultural creatives. One of the prominent examples of cultural creative is Margot Adler, who was a correspondent for the National Public Radio and a, and a leader in the pagan community. This was her title. Her writings quoted in the local newspaper said, quote, I am uncomfortable with any religious system that assumes there's one truth and one reality. Paganism starts with the idea that there are multiple peoples in the world and it's perfectly reasonable for each to have their own way of looking at the world with their own deities. Adler believes in paganism view as deity as imminent in everything with humans neither superior nor inferior to nature. It fits with the ideas of equality, pluralism, ecology, fits with my politics and spirituality, she says. More than anything, it is paganism and pantheism. And I guarantee you that most public colleges and universities in America believe and promote that exact spirituality and philosophy. Syncretism. Make it up. Take a little of this, a little of that. There's no foundation for truth. It's just, what do I think? Syncretism. These people have a cyclical view of history. Now it just kind of comes around again, goes around again, go around another time. And so you can always come back and try it again. The Bible teaches a lineal, a lineal view of history. Beginning, middle, and end. Hebrews 9.27 says, Just as man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. Now, we don't have time this morning to look at all, all the syncretistic beliefs undermining doctrinal unity in the church. But there's been an infiltration slowly over the years as we've left the authority and inerrancy of the Bible, the Word of God. The Wesleyan Church holds to that, just so you know. The inerrancy of the original autographs, the authority of the scripture of the Bible. We've seen the infiltration of New Age, witchcraft, satanic worship, pantheism, worship of nature, worship of many gods, same-sex marriage, transgenderism, multiple genders, creation of our, all, our own truths. And it's all made its way into Christian churches. And if we really love people, we'll just accept everything. Like I said, and I will say many times, we need to speak the truth in love. You can 
speak the truth without love, but you cannot truly love without speaking truth. Ephesians 4.13 says this, until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching. Doctrinal unity, absolutely critical that we have a playbook that we all play by. The Bible is our standard. And if anyone believes or espouses teaching counter to the Bible, we produce disunity and confusion. And I'll say this very clearly. One cannot be a true Christian and promote beliefs such as reincarnation, pantheism, transgenderism, and same-sex marriage. I know there's a lot of talk about gender today and when it happens and how it goes, etc. Now let me make a statement based on the Bible. Gender is assigned by God at conception. Gender is assigned by God at conception. It's not the doctor that makes that determination. God already has made that. Psalm 139, read it, look at it, and memorize it, whatever you have to do. It, it's not up to the individual to decide later, or the doctor, or the parents, or the teachers, or the administrators. They're not the ones who determine gender. God has determined gender at the moment of conception. Spiritual unity, doctrinal unity. Thirdly, thirdly, there's a unity of action, taking it to action. If we are unified in spirit, unified in belief, we will be unified in action. It's because we're all working from the same playbook, the Bible, God's word, our standard of faith and practice. And these principles apply to a marriage, the family, the local church, the church universal. And in this picture, on this team, we can only be in one of two places, positive or negative, supportive or critical, happy or unhappy. We choose, and our choices profoundly affect the unity of our church family. So the first step to win-win is called to unity, called to unity. The second in this mission Jesus gave us, we are equipped with power and authority. We are equipped with power and authority. Let's start with power. The word power is dunamis, meaning the might or the ability to do and act. The ability to do and act. Jesus didn't send his followers on their mission and say, good luck, I hope you make it, may the force be with you. That's not what he said. Jesus didn't send his followers on their mission and say that. He gave them power. In John 14, 15 to 17, Jesus said to his disciples, it's critical, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. It's the Holy Spirit. It said, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you in future tense, will be in you. He lives with you and will be in you. 
Jesus is speaking about the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit. He lives with you and will be in you. Acts 1.8, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Jesus gave his followers, that's you and me, all of us, the power, the might, and the ability to do the job. He didn't say you can do it on your own. Most of us go, I can't do that. Good. I can't either. What can we do? We can do nothing without him. If we're connected to the vine, John 15, you can do all things. God's person, the Holy Spirit, takes up residence in our lives, takes our lives over at our request, changes us, and gives us power. Gives us power. We are not gods. God is God. But God enters our lives and empowers us. And we all need power. We all want power. Some have never accessed God's power for mission. It's like pulling a wagon by ourselves and letting the horses walk behind. It's like having a car with a powerful engine and insisting we push it by hand everywhere we go. It's like the Minnesotan who went to the local hardware store and bought a new chainsaw. The next day he brought the chainsaw back and told the clerk, the saw doesn't work. The clerk said, let me try. So he started up the chainsaw and the, the guy said, what's that noise? I know it's early. Power tools without the power. Chainsaw. Oh, it's got, a mo oh, it's got power on it. Okay, let's go. Many of us are, are power tools without the power. Look like a chainsaw. Act like a chainsaw. We must be a chainsaw. We must be that power flowing through. It's a power outside of us. Why is the church so ineffective? Why so weak? Power is available, but we don't use it. Power is given to you. Secondly, authority. Letter B, authority. This is a word, excusia, excusia. It's the right or authority. It's the authority to use the power that God has given us. What good is power if we can't use it? We've seen recent events in our cities where people were rioting and destroying property and standing by were law enforcement officers with the power and ability to stop this destruction of violence. But they were told to do what? To stand down. They had the power, but they were not granted the authority. Jesus has granted the power and granted us the authority. We're not to stand down. We're to exercise his power. We have power, like they did here, over demons to drive out demons. People are not our enemy. Satan is our enemy. Remember that. And we have all authority and power over Satan. They had this big event in Boston called SatanCon. Don't be intimidated. And all kinds of evil and all kinds of things have been unleashed on our country. Don't be intimidated. You have the power and you have the authority over Satan. I did a series last fall on spiritual warfare. If you need to go back and listen to those messages, listen to those messages, knowing that you have the power. Don't be intimidated. You have the power to win, to, to carry out the mission. Satan has been called the ruler of this world. He and his demons, fallen angels, perpetuate evil in our world. They tempt, they harass, 
They accuse, they deceive, and they destroy. They perpetuate evil, immorality, crime, pornography, sexual exploitation, perversion, greed, witchcraft, paganism, trying to rob human beings created in the image of God of their God-granted likeness and their rights. We have the power and authority over wrong beliefs, non-biblical beliefs, over lies and untruths. Demons have no power over the Christian. We have the power and authority over them. The only power they have over a Christian is where we give them a place through sin. Sin, unless it's dealt with immediately, gives the devil a place of influence. Okay? Place of influence. See, Ephesians 4.26 says, In your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. A foothold. In other words, deal with your anger, your sin immediately. If you do not, you will give the devil a foothold. Some people call this a stronghold. Stronghold. If we nurse anger, if we nurse bitterness or lust or greed, any of these and other sins will give Satan a place of influence. Any sin. That's why it's very important that the moment we sin, we confess it to God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all sin. Forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all sin. And you know what? Some of you are going to sin today. No. You are. Okay, I'm, a, I'm not a prophet. I'm just, I know human nature. We have within ourselves the seeds of our own destruction. We sin. It's part of our sinful nature. Jesus came to change that. And, but part of that thing keeps rising up. And we need to confess it and get rid of it and say, forgive me of these sins. He'll, he'll get rid of it. And then the devil has no foothold, no stronghold. If we entertain a sin and keep doing the sin and dabbling in that sin, he has a place of influence through sin. We have the power to say no. Granted to all of us. We do not need to fall. We do not need to be on the defensive. We're not on defense. Christians for a long time have taken a defensive posture. And they quote, the gates of hell will not overcome us, thinking that the gates of hell. No, that's not a defensive statement. It's an offensive statement. The gates of hell, we attack the gates. It's not a defensive posture. It's an offensive posture we have. Take the offensive. We have the power and authority over demons and all they represent and do. Not only power and authority over demons who are and still wreaking havoc by destroying people's lives. We also have another part of our mission. We have a mission of clarity, number three. We have a mission of clarity. There are two parts to the mission, preach and heal. I want to start with the message. Letter A, preach the kingdom of God. What does that mean? What is preaching the kingdom of God? Say, oh no, now I have to go to seminary and become a preacher. I don't want to be a preacher. I hate being a preacher. I don't want, you know. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about speaking forth. Matthew 12, I'm going to read a passage. This is a, a key passage in the book of Matthew. Matthew 12, 22 says, Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. And all the people were astonished and said, 
could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives you out, Satan, if Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by the Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Critical verse. If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, and I do, then the kingdom of God, the rule of God, has come upon you. Jesus brought the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the dominion of God. When Jesus came, he broke into Satan's realm, his dominion on earth, and he established God's rule. God rules. The kingdom of God came with Jesus, established by Jesus. And we are sent out. We're apostello. That's the word it's used. Sent out with instructions to teach, to proclaim in Jesus' name on his authority. It's dependent on Jesus' authority. He gave it to us. Kerosine is to proclaim as a herald on the authority of a king or other person in authority. We, when we proclaim the kingdom, it's not based on our authority, our knowledge, our education, our great walk with God. It's his authority that's been granted. We are speaking for God. Kerosene, based on another person's authority. These two words describe our mission sent out by God to proclaim the message. God rules, God is king in our hearts and in our beings. And that transcends everything else, including totalitarian regimes. God, through Jesus, has established his kingship in the world. Before then, it was ruled by Satan and his demons. Not anymore. Not anymore. That's our mission, to preach, declare, one day in the consummation of time, God will destroy all the power and works of Satan once and for all. Now we have a, a message of good news. We need to tell it and declare it. History records a remarkable account of the destruction of an ancient town. Ancient towns were surrounded by walls and they had watchmen or watchwomen. I don't know if it was watchmen or watchwomen, whatever. They were people that stood on the walls and they would look for the enemy and if they saw the enemy coming, they would blow a trumpet or yell or do some kind of warning and they could, all the people around the town could come in, they could close the gates and be safe. Usually they would blow a trumpet and everybody would get into the city and close the gates. Well, in one particular town, they blew the trumpet too often. And people had begun to resent them for giving false alarms. So the watchmen decided to remain silent. Regrettably, not long afterward, the enemy actually did come. And the city that could have been saved was assaulted and devastated, leaving nothing but smoking ruins. Later, someone erected a small memorial inscribed with the following epitaph. Here stood a town 
that was destroyed by silence. Here stood a town that was destroyed by silence. America today is being destroyed by silence. We have a message. We have, we have good news to proclaim the kingdom of God. It's the message people desperately need to hear. Then the second part of the mission, heal the sick, which is to restore to wholeness. This includes physical healing then and now. People desperately need healing today. And we have been given the power and the mission to administer healing. And I, I'm going to challenge you. If somebody says to you, I'm sick or I've got a problem or whatever, don't just say, I'll be praying for you. Pray for them right there. Pray for them right there. Say, can I pray, can I pray for you? I, I have yet to have anybody say, no, I don't want you praying for me. I've never had anybody say that. And they didn't know I was a pastor, preacher, or anything. I, they were just sharing something. I said, can I pray for you? Pray for them now to administer life and healing. People are desperate for healing. And I'm not talking, we're talking physical healing. Those are the most obvious signs. But people are dealing with emotional distress and relationships and, and financial stress. They're dealing with so much pain. Our our society, our culture is so broken. People have experienced so much brokenness. They need healing. And, and you may not have the answer. You may not have the degree in psychology to counsel them, but you can reach out and touch them and pray for healing. That's the mission. And I pray that this congregation, this group of people, our team will be a team that reaches out and prays for healing. That we are, we are vehicles to heal. It's been given to us. The third part of this is to get moving. Get moving. Jesus gives his disciples guidelines for a minimum of encumbrances. He says, travel light. There's a sense of urgency. This is not a message of, of do not prepare. He sees that preparation and training is, a, is an important part. But there's a, a sense of urgency that we are called to mission now. Bruce Larson in his commentary on Luke tells a story. During World War II, General MacArthur asked his chief engineer how soon he could get a bridge across a certain river. He, they needed to cross the river. They needed to take the troops and equipment across the river. He said, how long can we get a bridge? He says, about three days. The engineer was told to go ahead and draw the plans. Three days later, MacArthur asked for the plans, and the engineer seemed surprised. And he said, oh, um, the bridge is ready. You can cross it now. If you want plans, you'll have to wait a little longer. We haven't finished those yet, he said. Sometimes we devote so much time to planning and preparation the job doesn't get done. Jesus is saying, the time is short. Get moving. So what happened? How did the disciples do? 
I, I take great comfort in knowing what the disciples went through. It's, it's just like, you know, they were human like we were. Not everyone responded the same way. Their message was received with diversity. Different, different things, received with diversity, Roman numeral four. Not everyone responded the same way. And we'll have the mixed results too. Some believed, some were healed, some rejected. Reminds us of the parable of the soils we looked at last week. Different hearts, different conditions, different receptivity. And the fault wasn't in the seed or the sower or anything. Some will just reject. And he says, shake the dust off. Shaking the dust off the feet was a testimony against them. It shows breaking of ties with them. Take a note. They went to the religious of the day, the Jewish towns and villages, and shaking the dust off their feet, that's kind of a weird thing, um, basically demonstrates a severance after the last urgent call to repentance, which shows they're no longer responsible. Sometimes we share our faith and we work with people to do something and they don't respond. Um, we're not responsible for results. We're not responsible for their response. And that doesn't mean when you share Jesus or tell somebody about Jesus or pray for them, when you, if they don't receive it, you shake the dust off my feet. You, you sorry person, you. Or, you know. No, it's not that. There was a, this was a metaphorical language of saying, just shake the dust means you realize you're not responsible for their response. Our mission is to go. We have a mission called the unity. It starts here. Equipped with power and authority, we're given clarity and know that you will be received with diversity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us a teaching and understanding, a little bit of understanding of our mission. And I pray, Lord, that you, by your grace, would continue your work in our lives. And I pray, God, that you would equip us for our mission. We know that you've called us to mission.